Good morning. Good morning. There's so many new faces here. I love it. <laughs> um, before I say anything else, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here this morning. I pray that you would speak through these words, my words, and that your word would fall on the parched places of our soul and that you would breathe fresh wind into your gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Jake was saying earlier this morning, we have been in a series about the good news. And we've been exploring how the gospel is truly good news for our lives. And our hope is to breathe new life back into what that means for our daily lives. We've been defining the good news as an event that God in the person of Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross to pay for our sins, and rose again from the dead so that we can be with him forever. And if we're followers of Jesus, these are intellectual truths that we assent to. But are we experiencing the newsworthiness of what they mean for our lives? Because I think sometimes we focus so much on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that we skip right over the fact that Jesus came to the earth to be with us in human form, living and teaching among us. And we miss the significance, the beauty of what that actually means for the fact that it gives meaning to how he died on the cross and rose again and how we get to live forever with him. And maybe we've forgotten the first, one of the first times we actually hear that phrase, the good news, in the Bible. We read it every year at Christmas time in Luke chapter 2, where the angels appear before the shepherds and they say, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. The good news is that Jesus came to be with us. The Son of God wants to be with us, wants to be in relationship with us. He came to the earth and taught us what what true living, full of purpose and hope, looks like in connection to him. And as humans, we all need relationship. We need a sense of love and belonging in our lives. If you check out Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, Love and belonging is right up there with food, our need for food and water and safety. And actually, someone took it upon themselves to create an updated version of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, a 2018 version, if you will. And guess what they put as the most important thing at the bottom? They just tacked it on. It's the most important thing before food, water, and safety. Yep. It's Wi-Fi. <laughs> we all need Wi-Fi in order to live and thrive in this world in 2018. In order to achieve self-actualization, we need Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's also painfully accurate for our world. And why do we even need Wi-Fi? Because it connects us to other people. We need it for our social media and for email to be in contact with one another. We need to feel loved and connected to other people. Our need for relationship starts even before we're born. We need someone to bring us into this world, to feed us, to take care of us, and help us thrive. And now that we're adults, we might 
feel like, you know what, I don't need any help. I'm fine. I'm an independent adult. Thank you very much. Don't need your help. And it's just not true. We still need other people. We need, we all desire to feel like we belong and we are known and we are loved. We long to be close and have meaningful relationships with other people. But there's bad news. And maybe it's not new bad news to all of you, but our expectation and desires to be loved and to belong will not be met perfectly by the people around us. No matter how much we set out to love each other well, we will get hurt by one another. Humans are complicated, we know this. We misunderstand each other, we get angry at each other, and we say hurtful words. We can be downright selfish and inconsiderate. And maybe whether you've lived a long time alongside other people or not, you have probably experienced feeling ignored or estranged, criticized, shamed. Maybe you left feeling deeply alone because of some brokenness and connection with another person. It's only 10-something in the morning, and I guarantee there's been people who are coming from places of having an encounter with someone, with another person, that is frustrating, even just this morning, that's left you feeling disappointed and unsatisfied. Even still, relationships are worth it. We're so thirsty for love and belonging that we'll pay the cost and the struggle that it takes to be connected to one another. But what if there was a love that didn't cost anything? A love that wouldn't hurt you or leave you still aching for satisfaction? A love that was constant? Even as I ask that, there's a part of me that feels distrustful and makes me say, no, that love is only in fairy tales. But this morning, I want to share a true story with you. A story that's about a wellspring of love that won't run dry. I've been hurt enough for cynicism to creep in, but I know that I have a deep longing to feel known and understood. And the only thing that heals me every time is the love of a God, an unfailing love of a God who says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. This is a God who says, come. And when he told us to come, he knew we couldn't come to him and so he came down to us to make it possible that one day we'd be able to live with him the way that he originally intended for us to be in his presence face to face. Because the reality is, we have an unquenchable need to be loved, and Jesus offers himself to quench it. We know that the people in our lives will fall short to fill us, to fill our need for love and belonging. And I hope that we'll be reminded today that Jesus is the one who will never fall short to fill us. I want to paint a picture of what makes the gospel beautiful, of what makes it so refreshing in a world where we could really use some refreshing news. In a moment, I'll read a story from the book of John, and it reveals, it's a story about how Jesus reveals himself to a Samaritan woman, and I want to see what it can reveal to us about the gospel of Jesus. 
So you can turn with me to this story. It's in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 18, and you can find it in the Black Pew Bibles on page 862. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Now Jesus learned that, if, that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, said the woman, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is offering this woman living water. And I'm sure if we were at the well that day, we might have been just as curious about what that meant. In order to understand this metaphor that Jesus is using with this woman, I want to first look at who is this woman and then what is Jesus offering her and see if we can grasp yet another facet of the good news of the gospel. So at the beginning of this story, we read that Jesus is, has stopped at a well where a woman has come to draw water. And we, before we learn anything about who she is, John gives us some important details that help give us a deeper understanding of this encounter with Jesus. He notes that in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He could have just said, then Jesus left Galilee and on his way he met this woman. But he notes that he had to go through Samaria, like it's an unfortunate detour. <laughs> John continues to note in verse 9 that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This aside is an understatement. There was a deep-seated hatred between Jews and Samaritans. They did not see eye to eye about whom they worshipped, and the Jews were outraged that the Samaritans would worship both the God of Israel and the gods of the Babylonians. And there were already, before that, even centuries of feuding and violent war crimes between them. Interacting with Samaritans was avoided at all costs. This is why it was so unfortunate that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not only that, but Jesus then interacts with a Samaritan woman. 
poor Jesus is what his disciples probably would have said. It's a good thing that they were out getting food because otherwise Peter might have been saying something that may have, may have made him put his foot in his mouth again. Um, but clearly Jesus wasn't thinking the way that they would have. The Jewish attitude towards women, though, was truly unfortunate back then. Men were not supposed to have public contact with women. They couldn't even speak openly with any woman, even their own mother, wife, daughter, or sister. A man could even divorce his wife for talking to a man in public. Not only that, but rabbis had declared that all Samaritans were unclean and you shouldn't even share the same cup with them because it could be contaminated. Overall, it was just not a good situation. And it's no wonder that this woman responds to Jesus' request for a drink with, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's shocked and doesn't understand why Jesus would ask politely for water from a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. She must have been simultaneously confused and intrigued by this Jewish man who's come to interrupt her trip to the well. Here's a woman who's coming to the well day after day in a town by herself at noon. This was not typical at that time because women used to come. It was always their job to draw the water, and they would always come either early in the morning or late in the evening because that's when it was cooler, and they came together. So why was this woman coming alone and at the hottest time of day? Later, when Jesus offers her water that will leave her completely satisfied, she eagerly asks, her to, asks him, to give, him to give her some of that water so that she won't keep getting thirsty and keep having to come back to the well. Imagine what it would be like to have to keep coming to a well for water. That already sounds exhausting to us. But then imagine how weary this woman would be coming with a heavy jar every day, going to the well, and then coming back, and that, not, that water only lasts for so long. And we learn from Jesus in her conversation that she has had five husbands, and the man that she is with now is not her husband. And many people read this story, and they think that she is promiscuous, and maybe she's a prostitute. But actually, many theologians have pointed out that it's far more likely that she was widowed and maybe even divorced several times. And men at that time died at earlier ages, maybe from difficult labor, and it's just far more likely that she would have had to take a new husband every time. In Samaritan culture, it was only acceptable for women to be married up to five times. So this sixth man in her life may have even refused to marry her. What could she do as a woman at that time? Relationship after relationship had left her lonely. And she had no other choice but to just take the next husband. On top of that, she is not welcome among her community of women and comes to draw water alone at the well every day. It seems that her life looks a lot like the exhausting trips that she takes to the well every day. Can you relate to this woman at all? Maybe like her, you know what it feels like to be an outsider, to be an outcast, or to be judged by other people. Maybe you know what it feels like to go to work and come home and feel weary and discouraged every day. Maybe you know what it feels like to keep looking to the other people in your life to fill you, and instead it leaves you feeling more drained. We all have an unquenchable need to be loved, and Jesus offers himself to quench it. This woman is thirsty. 
She has been left alone and without a sense of community or belonging. And it is into this deep well of unquenchable need that Jesus offers her living water. Before we even get into unpacking what Jesus means about living water, let's pause again to note some important details that reveal something about Jesus' heart for us and for this woman. The first thing we learn about Jesus in this story is that he didn't avoid going through Samaria like many other Jewish men would have. He not only passed through Samaria, but he intentionally stopped at a well and initiated conversation with this woman. It's stunning to think that Jesus not only initiates conversation with her, disregarding the rabbinic law that said he shouldn't even share the same cup with her, but also he asks her for a drink. He doesn't come to the well and see this woman and tell her all the things that she needs. He gives her dignity and comes gently and asks her for a drink, allowing her to be the host, recognizing that he is a guest there. As Jesus sits and speaks with this woman, he is beautifully overturning the societal expectations and pressures on him as a Jewish male at the time. In just a few moments, Jesus knocks down barriers of racial bigotry and hurtful sexist attitudes. He sees past what every other person might have said about this woman and helps her to see that he knows her, that he sees her and knows her even better than she knows herself. After she asks him, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus replies, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Of course, this leaves her feeling more confused and basically asking him, who are you? And how can you even get this living water? You're the one asking me for a drink, remember? (laughs) To this, Jesus replies, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying to her, if only you knew who I am and the gift of God that I have to give you. He is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to show us how much he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. And this gift of God he's talking about is living water. It's not actually the water in the well before them, but it's a metaphor for God's presence. And that we get from um, John chapter 7, where later on, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And John is helping us to understand that the rivers of living water is the gift of the Spirit. This Spirit is God's presence dwelling in us, And it's his way of drawing close to us and making it possible for us to be filled with himself right here, right now on this earth. And so that one day we can be fully in his presence face to face. This has been God's plan all along. And Jesus is drawing attention to it, even as he talks about it in John chapter 7. He says, as scripture has said, letting us know that this is not the first time the words of living water have been spoken in scripture. And if we look quickly back through a couple of Old Old Testament passages, Jeremiah records talking to God's people, God talking to his people saying, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
He is their spring of living water, a well that won't run dry. And yet over and over again in the Old Testament, we hear God crying out to his people, return, to stop chasing other idols. He says, do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. Despite the way that God's people drank from all kinds of different wells and streams, over and over, God God remains faithful. And he even says it in the very last book of the Bible in Revelation. He says, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, face to face. Living water is all over scripture, beginning to end. God promised to satisfy his people in relationship with him, knowing that if they chased after anything else, it wouldn't be enough. And he has given us the free, unmerited gift of the Spirit, his presence with us right now, welling up into eternal life. And when Jesus talks to this woman about this gift of God, the word gift in that passage in Greek is actually the word dorea, which means free, free gift, a gift without payment. We hear Jesus echoing God the Father saying, Come, all who are thirsty, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. You don't have to pay anything, just receive the gift. But did you catch the way that the scriptures talk about how we're invited to come? Come all who are thirsty. Anyone who thirsts, come. It's in a posture, come in a posture of knowing your need. The woman at the well is aware of her thirst before she even grasps what Jesus is really offering her. She pleads with him, please give me some of that water so I don't have to keep coming back here and draw water every day. When you are actually thirsty, you're very aware of your thirst and that you need something outside yourself to quench it, right? We can't solve that problem on our own. We have to drink water. You're in a humble state of, please give me something to drink. I've never felt more keenly aware of my need for water when I was in the mountains in Colorado with my family just recently. The altitude is quite a bit different there, and if you are out of shape like me, (laughs) um, it doesn't take much to send you huffing and puffing for air, even at the smallest set of stairs. And I did some research, and the best way to cure altitude sickness is to drink water, lots and lots of water. Our bodies need water. And I can think that I'm invincible and that I can survive on coffee alone, but that will only get you so far. And it doesn't take long before, you know, whether I live in the mountains or not, it, it, or if I have a, up against a stressful day, it doesn't take long for me to realize I really need water. In this passage, Jesus is comparing himself to water, saying we need relationship with him like we need water. We need him every day, and we can try running on the love of our friends and our family, on our recent successes or accomplishments, or many other things that that try to keep us going and sustain us. But ultimately, those wells will all run dry and will leave us thirsty, and it doesn't take us long before we're huffing and puffing up the smallest set of stairs in life. Because we all have an unquenchable need to be loved, and Jesus offers himself to quench it. Or another way of saying it is, 
we need Jesus like we need water. But do we want Jesus like we want water? And if not, then why? Maybe we haven't spent enough time with Jesus. Have you been jaded by what other people have said? Have you been afraid to believe that his love is really enough for you or true? Have you been hurt by God's people and maybe you just thrown out the idea of coming to him altogether? Maybe you felt guilty or not good enough to come because maybe it's just easier not to come at all. There are a hundred reasons we give ourselves not to come to Jesus, but when we stop listening to those other voices and we tune our ears to hear the Lord saying, come, all who are weary, come is all he asks. Come with your questions, come with your doubts, come with your fears, your joys, your sorrows, your gratitude. The more I've come to him, the more I've grown to trust him, and the more that I trust him, the more that his unconditional love changes my heart and fills me with his love in a way that helps me to know that I can't go to any other well than his well. I need Jesus like I need water, and I want Jesus like I want water in a desert. We all need the love and grace of God to live our fullest life for salvation, for eternal life. Not only is Jesus welcoming us to come and be quenched by a life filled with him, full of love and purpose, but he also offers it freely and for all people. For Samaritan women coming alone to the well, for people of all races, genders, ethnicities, and socioeconomic statuses, this living water Jesus is offering is the gospel message of Jesus, the new, good news that he came to be with us and make it possible for us to be with him forever. As the story comes to a close, we would be remiss to leave out the way that this woman responds to what Jesus is offering her. She says to Jesus in, towards the end of this passage, I know that the Messiah will come and one day he'll explain everything. And then Jesus reveals himself to her and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He's saying, I am that Messiah. She'd been looking for a what to satisfy her, but really the who was sitting right in front of her, the who that she needed to satisfy her. And her response is beautiful. She leaves her heavy jar behind and she goes out into the, into the town and she says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah, the one who saves? This woman is filled with an awareness that the Messiah would even know her, would take the time to talk to her and offer her a life that's better than she could imagine. She didn't think twice about running off to share what she had experienced. Two significant things to note. She leaves behind her jar and she spills over. She leaves behind this vessel used in her rhythm of life every day going to the well and she recognizes the weariness in looking for love from husband after husband. And she recognizes, she tastes this kindness from Jesus, the Messiah, and so readily leaves that jar behind and goes running after what was even more worth it. 
And she goes out saying, could this be the Messiah? She's still not even sure that she can let herself believe that he is the Messiah. But there's something so different, so captivating about who Jesus is that she can't help but spill over and share it with the people around her. The result of her sharing is that Jesus got to reveal himself to other Samaritans because those people became curious and came to Jesus. And the story ends with these townspeople coming to Jesus and urging him to stay longer. And so he stays two extra days. I would have loved to be in the room to hear what they talked about for those two days. But then they come back to her and they say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. How redemptive for this woman to, after having been an outcast, to hear these people say to her, we believe because of what you've said, but also now they believe just from hearing Jesus. But how beautiful that, that because she received God's love and spilled over, other people came to have an understanding of that same love. The good news is that Jesus meets us right where we are in those broken places. Jesus knows our need for love and offers his presence to satisfy it completely. The good news of the gospel is that it's not just for some people, but it's for all people. It's for those who are thirsty and recognize their need for God. We all have an unquenchable need for love, and Jesus offers himself to quench it. Simply put, we need Jesus like we need water. But maybe this good news has become old news to you. Maybe you've grown up hearing only Jesus satisfies and you can run after other things, but he'll be the only one who satisfies. And maybe you look at your life and you say, I don't feel like Jesus is satisfying me. How is he giving me living water? What does that really even look like in my life? I'm still so thirsty. And when we are thirsty, all we can think about is that thirst and just how much we need water, right? In life, it can be that way too. Pain and longing are needy voices in our lives. They nag at us for our attention at the back of our minds like a dry throat aching to be satisfied. But when Jesus satisfies us, it doesn't mean that our need for love and belonging in relationship goes away. But when we come to Jesus again and again, allowing our hearts to believe his love for us, it fills us in a way that draws our attention to something that is so much bigger than those nagging voices in the back of our heads. It calls us to a higher love than what is ever possible for us to give one another as human beings. We still live in the midst of our deep need. We are beautifully human, and Jesus knows it. But we can live in the midst of our aches, knowing that God is with us, satisfying us in those parched places. And Jesus' love renews and restores us. It redeems what is broken. It doesn't remove the pain. It redeems it, and he gives us a new perspective. So have you come before Jesus, being aware of your unquenchable need for love, Admitting to yourself and to him, I need you. Those are hard words to say, hard words to admit. But we can come vulnerably. Pride stripped down, naming the way 
that we feel before God. Isn't that the way that good relationships begin? By being open, by being vulnerable with one another. Deeper connection happens when we're able to open up with someone and what we say is heard and held safely. Other people might not handle your vulnerability well, but Jesus always will. Scripture shows us over and over again that he is a God who is eager for us to come and to share our lives with him. He won't be disengaged. He can't wait to hear what you have to say. He is not selfish. His love is trustworthy and it is constant. Not only that, but God's love is expansive. When he fills us, it fills us to overflow into other people's lives. When we receive his love and his grace, it gives us the ability to love each other in a way that is so welcoming and expansive. He made us to be in relationship with one another. And we're able to give our best to all people when we're filled with the kind of love that God gives. And the more that we are filled with God's love, the more that we can overflow that same kind of love. Because the reality is we are all filling ourselves with something, with words and with messages. And that whatever we fill ourselves, we're going to spill that out into the people around us. What do you fill yourself with? Have you tasted the water of God enough to want to set those jars down and go after something that is everlasting? When we keep receiving God's love over and over again, it creates new patterns and rhythms in our lives. It draws us deeper into understanding of what unconditional love looks like and helps us to better love the people around us. So I encourage you to keep coming back to the well of words that Jesus speaks to us in the Bible, reminding us of how much we are loved by him. To keep coming back to the places and the people where you will hear God's voice and be filled with a deeper awareness of his love so that you can be filled to overflow into the lives of the people around you. And to be able to share with people who desperately need to know that there is a love that is unconditional. We have an unquenchable need to be loved, and Jesus offers himself to quench it. We all need relationship. We need a sense of love and belonging. And we need Jesus like we need water. So let's come to his well, come into his presence again and again and receive the free gift of God's unconditional love in your life.